Maintenance? Maybe we should call maintenance. I'll fix it. I'm gonna fix it. Concentrate it. Maintain it. Maintain control. Maintenance complete. Thank you for joining our show today. This is The Maintainers, a Blue Cap community podcast. Hi, I'm David Lee, Enterprise Account Director with Traction, an experienced leader in the world of reliability-centered maintenance. And I'm Jake Hall, the Manufacturing Millennial, an advocate for manufacturing, automation, and skilled trades. Thrilled to be a, a co-host for the show. And today we're joined by Lanchi Forma. Lanchi is a general manager over at Calera a global leader in vertical community farming. He's also a strategic leader who utilizes large-scale cross-functional teams to maximize profits. To do this, he leverages his IoT skills, logistics, supply chain management, budget development, and resource management, amongst many others. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Traction. Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Longshi. Uh, before we kick into industry conversations, you know, I want to get to know you a little better, and I want the audience who's listening to know you as well. So, we're in the middle of summer right now. If you invited David and I to come somewhere that you just love to relax in the summertime, uh, what's your pick? Well, I have to say um, North Dakota because it's hot as hell in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do, you, what do you like about North Dakota? I um, mean, it's, it's a it's a change of pace, right? It's um. Yeah. Quiet, serene, you can sit back and uh, just watch the flatlands, sip a beer, and just talk about life. I have to say, I, I do agree compared to the, the humidity of Houston <laughs> for right That's now. That's right. That's but, right. But I, so, that was the last thing I expected. <laughs> so, so what's your background? Let's dive into that a little bit. You know, tell us about your background. How did, you, how did you get in the industry? How did you get from North Dakota to Texas? Where did it all start? I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Cameroon, Africa. Then we moved over to New York when I was about 14. At that time, my mom wanted to come to Dallas, Texas. I thought we was com coming to Austin. You know, I watched a lot of wrestling. Stone Cold Steve Austin. So <laughs> <laughs> I found myself back in Dallas. Um, I went to high school in Dallas. After that, I joined the military, got out the military. I wanted to do something different. So I went to school in Texas Tech to become a petroleum engineer. From there, I joined Slumberjay, and I, I was there for about close to 10 years. And then with the oil, tobacco, everything going on, they had a change in, in the division. So I want to find myself out of a job in North Dakota, so I had to move back here to Texas. And the, in the time while I was searching for a job, I happened to stumble to Calera, and it was a change of pace. I went to your facility in Orlando, and that was fantastic. I, I, I was something new, and those, um, going to be a wave of the future. So I wind up joining the company. We opened up the facility here in uh, Humboldt, Texas, and I've been here ever since. That's that's awesome. So, I mean, what a, what a background. Coming to America, being in the military, thanks thanks for your service. And I like where you talked about the future. So, you know, I kind of want to open up with, with our first segment that we have is the future of factories. Meet the future. To our futures. What future? The factory. My factory. Everybody's factory. I love your factory. My factory, my walls. 
we think of farming, you're, you know, the big fields with the tractors and the combines going out there, you know, tilling the dirt, putting a bunch of fertilizers, spraying chemicals, a lot of that stuff, you know, that's out there with, with traditional farming that we think of. But right. there has been a shift in the industry. I think a lot of it is because people want to be more sustainable. And mm -hmm. also you, you want to say, well, hey, we can't put big farms in the middle of cities. Correct. But... You can be more efficient when it comes to vertical farming and all that stuff. So can you describe for a person who's never seen a vertical farming system before, what does it look like to them? All right. So I just want you to imagine you walk into a warehouse. Let's just say it's about 60,000 square foot. You see a whole bunch of structure vertically standing up. First of all, you notice the pink hue because it's just the magenta look. And that's just based on the, the light frequencies that we do use. Mm -hmm. So you walk into a warehouse, um, you have a whole bunch of powermatic units, you know, dehumidification units, and then you have stacks of just plants going all the way from zero to 21 feet in the air. As you mentioned before, maximization of your space is key, right? At max capacity, we're able to do somewhere of upwards of 18 million heads if we were to be max capacity. That is per year. Yeah. So, you know, imagine that you're doing that amount of um, production in a conventional way. You need a ton of land. So the original spirit of doing vertical farming, was it to address things like potential future shortages, logistics issue? Because we, as you know, obviously we have a whole host of new challenges in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Nearshoring, onshoring. We're doing this out of need. Uh, right. So. How do you see you all's approach in vertical farming fitting into kind of that apparatus of things that really it's everything from just need to have access to food to national security from a very objective perspective? I do believe it's, it's a combination of things. And uh, you stated, I can't speak for the founders, but I do understand, you know, um, when you look at just the logistical part of it, right, having a vertical farm in like a hub where the logistic is very short. It makes it cost effective. Therefore, it won't be as expensive to the consumer. But when you start looking at food shortage, I mean, it is very impactful also, right? Because now you can start having those strategic spots. You can start placing those farms, you know, make it more accessible to people all over the world. So long as right. innovation keep improving and the costs, you know, keep going down. So that means my, my food doesn't have to go 400 miles in a truck to get to me anymore. I, I can be grown down the street and put in my grocery store a mile away. You know what I'm saying? And you wonder, like, why does this still look nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's After the real farm table right there. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and so when you come from the, the chemical field and now you're in the field where, you know, what I call high tech industry that you're in, can you talk to about what is like, the top of the mind when it comes to the current state of the industry right now? What are the main topics you guys are talking about you're discussing? Right now, apart from everything, believe it or not, it's profitability. <laughs> That's number one, for sure. Um, again, there's, there's this um, talk here, just without the control agricultural environment. We just want to talk about how do you create an environment when plants could grow and also control the cost of energy. So. That's the biggest thing right now. So in your role, what are the things that are on your mind regularly to make this happen and to hit these metrics that you're looking at? What is going to reduce costs and make us more efficient? How do we streamline our processes that we have in-house? 
because you're dealing with such complex thing. You're dealing with living plants. So, you know, it has to be a balance, you know, humidity, temperature, water management, all those stuff you need to monitor and just ensure that all of it is just the right amount because you don't want to be too much. You don't want to be too heavy and it will just shift it. So what I really focus on day to day is just making sure everything is at a balance. So really what you're doing is you're, you're completely replicating the agricultural growing process that normally happens outside, inside of a building now, inside of a facility. So the one thing I think of is it's hard to replicate Mother Earth in a lot of cases. I would assume the temperature, the air quality, the humidity, mm -hmm. the light, the right. amount of water that's being fed to them, the time of water. There, there's a lot of all these systems that all come into play that you know produce the best crop or vegetable that you guys are producing. How does maintenance affect what you guys are doing? Maintenance is extremely important. I can't even stress that enough. Because as I mentioned, everything is out of balance. Something is not working, it throws everything in, out of whack, right? So from sensors to data analytics to machine learning algorithm, predictive maintenance, all that is needed. Um, since we control everything using the iOS system, we are able to see those predictive nature of, of actual the solenoids. You know, if something is clogged, we are able to fix that because one clock could be detrimental to yield, right? You could go from having a certain amount of yield to a reduction of 30%. So maintenance is key. And, and I think that would tie up a little bit into, you know, the, the next segment we talk about the maintainer mashup. Maintenance required. Listen, I maintain. I maintain myself. Maintain course. Maintain speed. I gotta maintain respect. I love this idea where you're talking about like visualizations. Can you speak on like, it's not just the information that's being collected through a sensor, but you're actually visually seeing that through dashboards. What is the best way information is being presented to you guys so you can make decisions when it comes to replacing or fixing or doing preventative maintenance on things? So we do have a proprietary system that we do use. Like say I mentioned a solenoid, if something is stuck, it's able to give you that visual representation on a dashboard like, okay, this is stuck. Now we're able to make a, a maintenance ticket so the maintenance personnel could actually go and fix it. Without that, it, it makes things harder because, you know, when you have a whole bunch of system with, you know, different piping, everything running around, to have that visual uh, representation makes it just easy. Tell me how you all, your philosophy when it comes to predictive maintenance, how you all look at that and how would you apply that from your perspective? So right now for our pumps, the pumps that we do use, we look at the, you know, the strokes of the pumps to kind of dictate if it's cavitating, is it about to fail? So when you're looking at the actual representation that we get in from all the sensors, we do see the strokes. And sometimes we have times that we had a, a power outage, right? Mm -hmm. And the pump will stroke a little bit out of place and we we're able to come back and see that, okay, we're seeing the stroke, the spikes are higher than usual. So we'll start focusing on that pump and Nine times out of 10, that's, that's an indication that it's about to fail, right? Just looking at the, the strokes, looking at how much frequency of stroke is happening. When we're looking at the solenoids and sensors is one that we need all the time, we constantly monitor that. If it's out of calibration, we'll look at any close nearby sensors and see, okay, this sensor is reading this, but you know, about two feet over, the sensor is not reading the same way. That's the indication that we need to calibrate the sensor. The one thing I love talking about this is 
these tools are a means for your team to work together and to communicate. Stepping away from the technology, how do you better create collaboration between your team? And, and I, I think the technology can be a tool for that, but how do you build on that when making sure that all the dif different people that make sure this process runs successfully, how do you see that as a team go? So it's to understand your team strengths and weaknesses, right? You have to balance that. And when it comes towards maintenance, it's just understanding are your leaders here are they committed to working in terms of to put maintenance at the forefront? Then are they trained? Are you working on how they're training and skill development? That's key, number one, because if people feel like they're actually trained and they're developed, they're willing to you know, buy into the whole objective of just mm -hmm. ensuring that everybody's good in terms of keeping the equipment up to, to par. Uh, I believe it's just you working into the strength, right? Because for me personally, um, I have a, a team of seven to figure out how, how do they work as a leader? How do they work as a person? How do they work here? And I try to balance them by, you know, giving them feedback, seeing what the strengths are, position them the right way to make sure there's success. And if, if I see there's a weakness, you know, I try to position somebody with them to cover that weakness. So evaluating your staff, uh, your maintenance workers and things of that nature, what are ways that you look at, uh, whether it be their skill set, testing it, their performance? How are you evaluating that? And are you utilizing any sort of technology to track that? And what's your, your general approach there? Funny you ask that, right? There is this um, company that we started early on with Calera. Well, we were partnering with them to use their uh, analytics. They're called mm -hmm. PI, right? It's one of those tests that you, you take, it will tell you how you work. But this one is incredibly incredibly accurate each leader would take that test and you're able to see how they actually work like from are they more introvert are they more you know routine wise are they more detail or not so we use that every day to just you know communicate and the more i use it over time you see how accurate that is so using that tool i'm able to better communicate certain uh, objective to my subordinates or if there's an issue, I know like they're not very confrontational. I know how to navigate that with them too. So just sort of able to absorb the information without feeling like they're not being heard. Are you seeing a level of acceptance when it comes to this technology through different generations? You know, the one thing I always see is millennials and Gen Z's, the younger ones, they love this idea of technology and collaborating mm -hmm. with it, where older generations might be a little bit more skeptical. When you have, you know, you said you have a, you have a team of uh, like seven people that, that you're working with. What's the demographic of that team? And how do you make sure that, you know, all these different generations work together when it comes to embracing this type of technology? Well, the demographic is, is pretty wide and spread here, right? So we have some, the young millennials here too. Then we have some, some of the older ones too. But I will say I work incredibly hard on myself to listen more and to just understand the human side of things, right? You have to understand the human side of things first and foremost. So um, I use that and then you leverage technology to, to further amplify what I'm discussing with them or what I want to make clear or objective that I'm setting for the whole farm. I feel as um, technology is one of those things you either get with it or you get left behind. So it's just one of those things.
We're gonna fix it. Get the tool. Pick the one right tool. The right tool for the right job. So you mentioned a few different parts or different pieces of technology that you all are utilizing. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your toolkit. What type of technology stack are you utilizing across the board? You've mentioned a few, but give us an overview and kind of how that impacts the actual operation. We have several, right? In, in terms of just inventory management, you know, just CRM, we use uh, Dynamics just to, to, to manage the whole business. When it comes to to the maintenance side, I know we are still in the process of rolling out new things. We're still building out our actual um, maintenance process here. So we're still in the early stage of it, but now we are basically getting all our inventory into the maintenance system. We are, you know, detailing out the actual maintenance process from using actual documentation from the manufacturer. Then from there, we're going to be moving towards doing predictive maintenance ourselves. Like, see, when do we actually need to do the was it predictive maintenance rather than what the manufacturer tell us? Because sometimes, depending on your environment, it could change. Then in terms of people management, of course, we use ADP. You know, that's, that's another set just to, to manage uh, the workforce. Then, of course, I spoke about the proprietary system we do have here to monitor the whole grow room, the, the uh, controlled environment that monitors anything from water management, temperature, humidity, airflow, dissolve oxygen so we monitor all that with that system so let's talk about the old school ways of doing things the tried and true so mm. let's say for example spreadsheets or something adjacent to that do they still have a place in your opinion or are we making a mistake by keeping these methods around in your opinion the spreadsheet has its place it has its place right uh, and it depends on what, what level you are in in your company, right? Like, say if you're a startup, like you're bootstrapping. Yes, you might need some spreadsheets to get stuff in line and, and allow you to, to, to do things without having to spend the extra money because you need all your capital. If you're now profitable, per se, right, you could afford to, to be efficient, you know, get things that is seamless, have some automation in place. Yeah, spreadsheet will be dead at that point. But I think there's always, there's always going to be a need for a spreadsheet, right? Depending on what level or what life cycle you're in within your own company. So let's say we want to bridge the gap now. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone, let's say a maintenance manager or another general manager, who's trying to take their operation from no technology to where you all are or where you have been even in other operations? How would you advise them to do this process or tackle this process? Well, first and foremost, there has to be a need for that technology because if there's no need and you can't basically present that to whoever is paying your bills, you know, there, there won't be no need for it. So once you figure that out, there is a need, it's actually saving you. It could be efficiency, it could be um, labor, um, just overall process, right? If it's saving you that, you're able to put forward the user case and there's a monetary value tied into that, then I would be like, okay, then you move forward, which a lot of the time, that's what we had to do here. But also with technology comes additional expenditure, right? So you have to right. be a balance. I would say the best way to go about it is to figure out the user case, see how, how it impacts the business from a totality standpoint. Then once you do that, you see how you could do a test run to see how it actually 
because it's one thing to view it from a paper standpoint, but in actual reality might be completely different. I'm speaking from experience here too. So. <laughs> right. So let's dive into that. So, you know, when you're speaking from that experience, when it comes to things that you've learned, I know people don't like talking about mistakes that they've made, but people learn the best from mistakes. So, you know, 100%. if you were to go out there and say, a lot of times the most valuable things that we learned aren't the things that we did well, is the things that we did bad. Can you dive into maybe a learning experience that you learned, you tried something, and it wasn't as successful as you hoped it to be? Let's just say the hiring process, right? Trying to hire people here. At first, you know, we were trying to hire people who go out in the street because at, when we started here, we thought we were, we were going to start up at 100%. So we went out there to hire people. We didn't necessarily do a due diligence to begin with, which we had. Remember, I was telling you we had this software, the, the PI that we could have leveraged but we never did. So we were relying on strictly on all the management here to go out, find people, bring them in, interview. It turns out, you know, we got all the people here. We managed to hit that goal, but by doing so, our attrition rate was terrible <laughs> because we didn't really vet as much, right? Because people don't realize, yes, it's indoor farming. You're like, okay, thinking it's new, but at the end of the day, you're still dealing with plants. There is still that work that you need to do. <laughs> so, so what would you say is a characteristic that you wish you found more of when you were hiring? People that were willing to work and do anything necessary. That's one characteristic that found that you... People always interview, they're like, yeah, I could do this, I could do that. But when you actually have the work to do, like, you know, something as simple as just cleaning the floor. I, yeah. I, you didn't hire me to clean the floor. Like, but it's, it's a team effort, right? Yeah. So, so I, I want to dive into that, actually. I want to go back to our earlier conversation talking about how you served. Because mm -hmm. the one thing that I've learned with within the manufacturing industry for a lot of people that I've met is some of the best employees you could ever find are the ones that serve because they understand from doing the bottom end work to mm -hmm. the top end when it comes to leadership. How can us as an industry within manufacturing do a better job attracting veterans who served in the past? I think it's just to be more involved in some of the communities too, right? You know, to have different veteran organizations reaching out to those individuals, you know, see how you could partner with them. That's one way. For me, I, I normally just use, you know, word of mouth too. reach out to some of my battle buddies, ask them, hey, you have somebody that's interested in doing this position? I say, yay, okay, send them over for an interview. Lancha, you may have heard of the SkillBridge program. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the things I'd like to mention as, as a resource for different uh, companies listening to this now. Um, but let's, let's uh, change the perspective a little bit. What advice would you give to veterans who are currently listening to this podcast and they're interested in getting into maintenance or let's say they're a maintenance worker who they're interested in showing their leadership capacities more, wanting to be the general managers or wanting to be the plant managers like yourself. What advice would you give to these type individuals? Because I'm sure that we have a lot listening today. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the great things about that too, as a veteran, you already know how to work. That, that's, that's for sure. One thing I will say is that you have to come in with as if you know nothing about the industry and just be willing to be an open book, just listen and just 
do as be hard working as possible. Because anybody could do things, but the people that always listen and always try to do what they have to, um, that always succeed. Like I came into this industry myself. I was all about the oil field. Really did not know as much, you know, when it came to horticulture and plant nutrient. I mean, I learned about these things in, in like elementary, right? You know, photosynthesis and everything like that. I came in just with the attitude that I, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to learn as much as I can, right? And I just use some of the skills I have, you know, problem solving skills. That's huge with veterans, you know, sticking it through the, the tough times, resiliency. All that has already been ingrained in you. You just have to be willing to just do whatever it takes and be the one to always raise your hands. Hey, is there something I need to do? Hey, pick me. Fix is in. It's making a really funny noise. I'm fix it. Make it funny would be great if you could make it funny. Your fate is fixed. That makes it funny. Make sure it's funny. Why don't you, I'm going to provide you with a couple questions and you're going to give us some fun answers to give us a better idea. So would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years? into the future Ooh, 10 minutes 10 minutes in the future all right. That's right would you rather swim in a pool of nutella or a pool full of maple syrup <laughs> that's hard um yeah nutella is very viscous uh, <laughs> That's Except, that's your that's your like petroleum chemical I mean, exactly. Exactly. Like thinking about it. Huh. Uh, I, I would say uh, maple. Man, I have a better chance to swim out of swim out of there. All right. Would you rather have a personal maid to do your cleaning or a personal chef to cook your food? Oh, personal chef, hands down personal chef. All right. You know, as we wrap up our conversation, Lanchi, the one question I love to ask is, is there something that we haven't talked about yet or brought up in conversation? Just the potential of the control environment and agriculture. Again, as people can become more conscious about what they put in their mouth, right? Uh, one thing I have to say, like even working here, the lettuce is definitely, it, it do taste better. It really do. Um, you get to see a different side of things, right? Agriculture is everything. What you put in your mouth is basically makes you. I think more people need to be more um, knowledgeable when it comes to agriculture. The control environment space is still in the beginning. There's not a lot of um, information out there for it. So I, I encourage people to learn. You could even implement this in the back of your yard, right? You know, they have so many different technology. I just think the more people that become interested in it, the more bigger the space will become. And just look at the climate changes, right? Look at what's happening, you know, when we had the, the APHIS, the, all the issues here in California. The more we have this industry start blooming, the better it is for everybody, right? I think the thing with that as well is, you know, when you hit sustainability, it talks about with future generation. I think, you know, the future generations are going to choose with their pocketbooks where they want to buy stuff. And if they have the option to buy something that's going to have be more sustainable and more healthy for them and what they view down the road, they're going to make that decision. So I think if you're a company that's producing agriculture or if you're a manufacturer that's producing whatever product, um, I think it's one of those topics that definitely need to be discussed and, and looked at on your impact. 
Well, Longshi, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for your insights on um, you know, how we can get uh, the community more involved, how we can get our industry more excited about reaching the future generations, and how maintenance is really affecting us and our daily lives with our work. Oh, yeah. Maintenance is key. Awesome. Well, this has been an episode of the Maintainers Podcast. Once again, I am here with David Lee and myself, Jake Hall. We'll see you again next week for another episode. This podcast is brought to you by Traction. Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance.